0: I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to 5th in Mission. Anti-Asian rhetoric and attacks are up in the Bay Area, and they're impacting Asians in the restaurant industry in a major way. Unlike people in many other jobs, food service workers have no choice but to interact with the public during the COVID-19 pandemic, and the results have sometimes been ugly. Chronicle food writer Janelle Bitker explains what's been happening and how Asian restaurants are reacting. Janelle Bitker, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Heather. You have a heartbreaking story out now about anti-Asian racism and violence and how it's affecting the restaurant community. Um, And I wanted to start by you telling me what happened to Derek Tam at the Chinatown pop-up series at the Ferry Building last month.
1: Yeah, so Derek Tam is an owner of Dragon Papa. It's a candy shop in Chinatown, and he makes us... really traditional feathery candy where he pulls the malt syrup and it's very cool to watch. Um, but while he was doing that, a man grabbed his phone and when Derek tried to get it back, the man punched him in the face and told him to go back to his country. Wow. Um, so there were a lot of people around who kind of broke it up and, shoot the guy away. But Derek understandably does not have much interest in going back to the ferry
0: building anytime soon. Of course not. And you actually said he kept working after that happened, which I found incredible. <sighs> I mean, I think that's being a food worker,
1: right? Like
0: mm-hmm.
1: you have customers there who want what you're making and you just have to
0: keep doing it till your shift is over. Wow. What was the reaction from police and ferry building management about the attack?
1: Um, The police, they're investigating. As far as we know, no one's been arrested yet. And ferry building management told me that they're cooperating with the investigation um, and that they were heartbroken to learn about what happened and they maintain that they keep a very secure facility as best they can, given it's so public.
0: And um, your story is really about a, a bigger issue besides one attack, which is people working in the food industry who can't work from home during the pandemic like other people can. And that is making them more exposed and vulnerable to these attacks. And what did you find in your reporting about how people in the Asian community are dealing with that?
1: I think a lot of people in the Asian food community are just feeling really helpless Mm -hmm. and don't know what to do, honestly. And so a lot of the things that they are doing are coming out of that feeling of just like, ugh, I need to do something. I can't Mm -hmm. just sit here. Um, So some have been hiring security guards to protect their employees and diners, particularly if most of their employees are Asian. Um, Some have been raising money for nonprofits that are fighting this kind of hate. Um, I talked to the owners of Third Culture Bakery today. Um, They're the Mochi Muffin Place in Berkeley, but they've been putting together these safety kits um, with like pepper spray and whistles and handing them out to Asian seniors. So
0: yeah, people are trying a lot of things. Wow. Wow. And Nia Tran, the chief operating officer at Burma Superstar, had several alarming encounters to share with you, including something that happened at his restaurant and then to his dad in Alameda. Can you tell me about those incidents?
1: Yes. So he said just in the last couple of months, um, people were randomly or seemingly randomly smashing windows at his restaurant. Mm -hmm. Um, a delivery driver at one of his locations got upset for some reason and threw a bottle of hand sanitizer at an employee. Um, And then his dad who uses a wheelchair um, was robbed in broad daylight in Alameda. And I think as I was saying earlier, he just felt like this is so frustrating. Um, I mean, he didn't know if any of these incidents were hate Related specifically, mm-hmm. but um, he really wanted to act in some way.
0: Mm-hmm. And so what did he do?
1: Um, he ended up contacting the San Francisco Police Union and the Oakland Chinatown Chamber of Commerce and starting this reward fund, um, basically putting up money in coordination with different police agencies to solicit tips that might lead to apprehending suspects in these kinds of we'll crimes. We'll be right
0: back after a short break. You can support 5th Admission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited chronicle access at sfchronicle.com/pod. Um, Another seemingly obvious solution would be more police patrols, and some mayors have said that they're going to do that in Asian neighborhoods, including San Francisco Mayor London Breed, but that is not always um, a welcome um, move. What have you heard on that front? I think it's a mixed bag. Um, A lot of business owners, like the CEO
1: of Burma Superstar, um, feel like a crime is a crime, and these people who commit the crimes need to be apprehended, and that will make... People safer, but I think there are also a lot of community organizers and activists who feel like more policing does the opposite, and that's not what these neighborhoods need. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's going to be an ongoing conversation for a long
0: time. Um, I wrote a column the other day about um, Mayor Breed's challenge to San Francisco residents to only buy from small businesses and patronize local restaurants throughout the month of May. And I got a really sad email from an elderly Asian person who said he liked the idea, but he's too scared to leave his Aww. apartment. And so he can't do that because he c- he only feels comfortable ordering online from Amazon and um, food delivery like that. So that was really heartbreaking. Uh. That's really
1: sad. and I know. Yeah, I know a lot of people in the restaurant industry have told me, you know, maybe if they're a millennial, um, maybe they're not scared for their personal safety, but they're definitely thinking about their parents and not wanting their parents to leave the house anymore.
0: Right. I've also heard that that's one of the reasons that um, a lot of Asian families opted not to return to school in person because oftentimes grandparents will be walking that students, their grandchildren to school, if the parents are at work and that they don't feel safe doing that, which was another heartbreaking anecdote. Oh, that's a
1: really good point. Yeah. My grandma walked me to school quite a bit and Mm -hmm. she would have been a prime target for this.
0: Yeah. And, um, you're obviously an Asian journalist and I was wondering if you can speak to what it's like to be covering these stories of senseless attacks on your community and whether it's personally difficult to hear about these things or whether you feel some kind of responsibility to get them out into the world or some combination of both.
1: <laughs> I I think it's both of those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard and on some level, it would be easier to just not read the stories or engage with the stories or write the stories. But also, I think it's so important that people know that this is happening and that these voices are elevated and That we're not just hearing from police officers or Mm -hmm. officials about what is happening. Like, I think it's really important that we're hearing from the people who are directly impacted. I don't know. I I like to think maybe on some level people trust me a little bit more with their stories Mm -hmm. or are a little more open in our conversations because whether or not I tell them directly, they know that I understand On. Some level of what they're talking about. And um, I mean, I think every Asian person in the Bay Area right now at least knows someone
0: who has had one of these really awful experiences lately. Mm -hmm. And have any of your friends or family had negative experiences like these due to anti-Asian sentiment during the COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah. I mean, luckily, none of my
1: friends or family have been physically harmed um, in these past few months but my mom was driving in Alameda and someone yelled something very unpleasant and racially mm. insensitive at her and she was pretty shaken up and mm-hmm. she didn't tell me about it for a long time, actually. I'm not sure exactly when it happened because she only told me about it after the Atlanta shooting and mm. and sort of said like... You know that she only told my dad and and kept it inside, but that's kind of a classic response mm-hmm. from the Asian communities. You know to feel like oh it's not so bad, so I'm not going to talk about it. But um, I'm sure there's a lot more happening that we don't
0: know about. Yeah, are you hopeful that as the pandemic subsides and this strange you know racist idea that somehow Asian people are at fault for it will just go away, or what do you think is Is likely to happen?
1: I don't know. When I was reporting on this last year, as these sorts of incidents were really starting to take off, um, I interviewed some local community organizers and they were really worried that the surge was still to come and that even though so much was happening last year at the start of the pandemic, that as more and more people left the house and the economy reopened and there was more to do, that that was when the anger would be unleashed. Mm -hmm. And it kind of feels like that is what has happened. Um, Mm -hmm. Like the economy is reopening. The streets are more full. More people are becoming targets
0: now. Um, So I'm a little worried that it's going to keep getting worse before it gets better. Wow. That's really scary. Well, I wanted to shift gears a little bit while you're on the show. Um, Last time you told me about a sketchy restaurant that was posing as Blowfish Sushi, even though the real thing had closed in December and that delivery services like DoorDash make it harder for people to know who they're really ordering their food from. And I was wondering if there are any updates because I found that story so fascinating. It was a really fascinating story. Um, The main update is that
1: DoorDash and Grubhub have removed the listings mm-hmm. of the allegedly imposter restaurants. Imposterants. <laughs> As our um, episode title was last time. It's such a clever title. Um yeah, so people can't order from those places online anymore, but beyond that, um I'm not sure if the original restaurants are still pursuing legal action. Their main thing was that they wanted those listings taken down.
0: Mm -hmm. And so people can't order from them anymore.
1: Yes. You can go physically in person. Um, Mm. The restaurant said that they were changing their name and doing on-site dining. So it probably operates as just a normal restaurant right now. Maybe. Who knows?
0: (laughs) Um, I think they should call themselves on if they need a new name. I'm sure they would love to hear that (laughs) from you, Heather. I'll suggest it in my next column. Well, thank you as always for coming on the show. It's always nice to talk to you. Thanks, Heather. You too. Take care. Thank you to Janelle Bitker for joining me today, to Taya Francesca Price for producing this episode, and to you for listening.